Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the ABW Show. I'm your host, Society B. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Now, if you have noticed, there was no episode last week, and that is because I wanted to save this special interview episode for this week for the sole purpose that I am interviewing the co-creator and co-architect of the HBCU Spring Coming Weekend that is hosted in Harlem, New York, and has been there for the last nine years. So I wanted to definitely do this interview because this weekend kicks off the HBCU Spring Coming events, and I wanted to give a shout out to my guest for today, Lauren Grove. So without further ado, here's our interview. Today, my fantastic, amazing black woman that I have on this show is my friend, Lauren Grove, nay Grant, because that's how I still have you on my phone. And (laughs) (laughs) she is the owner, president, boss woman of her own company, The Grant Access. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Very excited. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be here. I am happy to have you too because I was like, ooh, the scheduling is going to be rough and I need to just stay on top of it. (laughs) But you're here. here. Listen, that is is what matters. And that's what it's like to be a busy woman. So, yes, if it's not on the calendar, it didn't happen. It did not happen. Yep. That's all I have to say. (laughs) So I would love you to give uh, your intro, introduce yourself Mm -hmm. to all the people that do not know you. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, where you come from, what you're all about. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be in that order. (laughs) All of those things, right. (laughs) Um, My name is Lauren Grove. I am the Chief Experience Architect for The Grand Access. We are a full-service event uh, planning production firm. Um, we focus on nonprofit and corporate events. Um, our clients range from Nike to Paramount uh, to the Executive Leadership Council, Coral New York, a couple other nonprofits that we work with, Girls for Gender Equity, one of our favorites. Um, and we do all kinds of events. So everything from meetings and conferences to festivals to galas, we kind of, uh, our, our our focus on events kind of run the gamut as long as it falls within corporate and nonprofit. Um, I am also a wife to an amazing man, Jason Grove, and we have two little boys who are four and nine months, actually. So, um, yeah, busy is probably an understatement. <laughs> I know. But yes, that is for me. The cutest little children. Yes, you are repping for <laughs> the uh, the working moms who are also like the CEOs. So, yeah, listen. Girl. Um, it's a club, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I haven't gotten in yet. Um, obviously, my membership is being held up in heaven right now, but that's okay. I'll get there one day. But then I'm going to be like, Whew, I don't know. What was I thinking? Maybe, you know, maybe I overthought this. But anyways, <laughs> I love that this is your resume because you and I go way back to our young 20 days in New York City when before you actually were the chief experience officer and um, I want you to tell this story of how you became the chief experience officer of your own company. Um, well, I, uh, as 
you mentioned, we were, you know, young and living, running the streets of, of Harlem. Uh, Fabulous. For a number of years. It was, it was a wonderful time. <laughs> um, you know, I had uh, had about a 10-year career in media and advertising. I started my career at the Nielsen Company and then subsequently went to two advertising agencies, two media buying agencies. And I was kind of doing events like on the side. I had done them in college. I had done an internship in events. And, um, you know, during my graduate years and um, I knew that I was interested in them. You know, I'm a, I'm a Delta. And so I did the Delta events on campus. So I knew that it was something that I was good at and something I was interested in. And a pivotal point for me, interestingly enough, where you were here was my cousin Jovi's 30th birthday party. Yes. <laughs> on couch and like tuxedos and evening gowns at like 7 p.m. on a Sunday. And I was like, you know, I don't do much, but like, I don't have to do this. Like, this is, this is my thing. Um, and so I started the Grand Access in January of 2014 um, while I was still working my full time job. Uh, J. Cole has a line in the song where he says, I know you got a nine to five, I'll be your five to nine. Yes. I had about five to midnight. Um, <laughs> and so I ran Red Access, worked in advertising, worked my way up to like director level at an agency. Um, and one day I was in church and the sermon was literally about using your gifts and not sitting on them. And there's obviously scripture and you know, a story to go along with this. But I, God literally tapped me on my shoulder and was like, it's time. You gotta, you gotta stop sitting on your gifts. You know, I was, I was not playing small, but I was not playing big either. Mm. And at the time I didn't have any responsibilities. I didn't have, you know, a husband and a mortgage and kids and things like that. And my thought process was, you know what, if I fail or if I do well on this, I can go get another job. And I agree. So my thought was, let me just try this and see how it works. And so I, um, told my boss I was quitting in March of 2016. So two years after starting the grant access, uh, in between March and June, because God told me to quit right before my birthday, which is June 12th. And so that day would have been June 10th. And I got a job offer to run the department of my agency. And I feel like God was testing me <laughs> and I turned it down. I said, God told me to quit. And so I'm going to quit in June 10th. Um, rolled around. I wrote my resignation letter. I had a complete anxiety attack at work and could not press in. Literally. Um, I was like, I'm, I can't do this. Like, this is crazy. And um, my girlfriends got on a, that was before Zoom was like a thing. You know, they got, we got on like a conference call line and they literally prayed over me. And I pressed in. And so my last day working in corporate was June 10th, 2016. And um, it's, I can't say I had it so bad, you know, entrepreneurship. <laughs> I, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to go back to corporate at least once a month, then you probably not doing it right. So, you know, <laughs> I've had my share of times where I was like, oh my God, like, can I actually do this? Um, but I have not looked back since even through a pandemic. God, God kept me through a pandemic, which is something that he did not do for a lot of people. And so, We've made it through, and we are currently in our largest year since we started. Woo! Okay. Now, 
this is a story and I always love it because I was there and witnessing all of this happening going on from the sidelines. And I knew that there was a faith portion in this, which is part of the reason why I wanted you to tell this story because people get signs and hear their spirit, their God, their higher above, Mm -hmm. telling them, asking them, demanding them to do things all the time and they don't Mm -hmm. do it. But for some reason you were like, I'm going to do it. And it worked out for you. And you were saying that there was so much fear and all of your girlfriends had to come together to. Yeah. To like, basically like to to get, to make it happen. Yeah. To make it happen. I think for me, I am a naturally, obviously what I do for a living, right. I am naturally risk averse. Mm -hmm. I want to plan something to the furthest point of planning to avoid as many hiccups as possible. Now, if you do events, you also know that, like, that's literally impossible, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, in years, and when you get there, something's going to happen that you don't expect. But I want the unexpected things. I don't want the things I've got to plan for. Mm-hmm. And that is how I naturally am as a person. And so, for me, what I realized after God told me this, because it wasn't just like, sure, God, let me quit today. <laughs> It was very much like, all right, Lauren, if this is what God is telling you to do and this is what you plan to do, then you need to get comfortable with the worst that can possibly happen. Right. And I analyzed a whole bunch of things, right? I had this cute little one-bedroom apartment on 116th and Fred Doug, and I was like, what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I lose my apartment is that the first thing I have because you still got roof over your head you can still do events if you want to you'll still be fed and clothed if that is the worst possible outcome of you quitting your job and then I would just have to go back to get another job if that's the worst possible outcome you can deal with that like you can live with that right and that is how I thought of it you know I you know I had the very good fortune of immediately after quitting my job executing two really large events so like within two weeks after i quit my job i uh did some stuff for curl fest if you're from new york or familiar with the amazing amazing brand built by um five dynamic women in brooklyn called curl fest they did some work for curl fest and the next week i executed like two or three events for essence and so i was like oh well you know I, i didn't really have time to think about what i had done Right. And I distinctly remember coming home and sitting on my couch after Essence and having a complete and utter meltdown. Like when I say on a ledge, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> I just quit this perfectly good job. Like, like what, what, what did I do? I had a complete meltdown. You know, we're obviously sister friends and you know, you know how much sister friends matter. And that is when I, I, I have the amazing fortune of having not one but two executive coaches in my sister friend circle and one of them is a life coach uh camille thomas and she literally gathered my edges and pulled me back from the brink of calling my job back and asking them to take me back like i you know you have to just you have to just get on the you know people say get on the other side of fear that's really what it is like and also understanding that none of this is in your control the things that are in your destiny were determined before you were born. Mm. And if you're going to succeed at this, it's going to be as much about God's will as it is your hard work. They are they are both in there together. It is 50-50 in here. And so you really have to get on the other side of that and knowing that it's not just you holding you up and that he wouldn't have put this desire in your heart if he wasn't going to make it happen. So mm. that, that was it for me. But 
แล้วความกันเป็นของไหลตาเฉียบเรียบร้อยไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปไม่เจอไปvery real thing very true because it's that fear is pretty much what makes most people not do it because it, it really is like okay well what's the worst that could happen you said for you that yeah. is like i'll lose my apartment and i'll have to move back home for some people they don't have that option of moving back home yeah. or the worst yeah. thing is for them losing an apartment they're like no i have my own yeah. space i feel great here i work so hard mm -hmm. to get it but they're not seeing what They're trading that in for something amazingly big, and yeah. obviously, it's something you yeah. cannot see, and may not see for a little while, and that's where we all get caught. <laughs> you gotta just walk in it. You gotta walk in the faith, and you have to know. You know, imposter syndrome plays a very interesting role in this as well, because you could know that you're good enough to do this on your own, and then get out here. And if you hear a certain number of no's, like you're obviously going to start to doubt yourself. And so, <laughs> um, I feel like it's a it's a growing journey. And obviously, you know this as an actress. Like you, I don't even know how you all do it. Like like life is just so many no's. The so yeses many no's matter. Oh yeah, and the yeses <laughs> propel you to like the next yes, right? But it might run out in between. Like you might hear too many no's in between those yeses, and it's a wrap. You know? Oh, for sure. So, For sure, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a game of uh, bob and bobbing and weaving around the nose so that you're, you're still in the game for the yes. Yeah, listen. Um, let me just say this: if you are not an actor or somebody who is pursuing a dream, whether it's entrepreneurship or you want to build a boat or whatever, whatever it is, and you have not gotten at least as many no's as you can before you're like, I'm going to quit. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, fine, I'll do it yeah. again. And yeah. you don't do that at least like five to a hundred times. Yeah. Nah, that ain't it. Like, no, yeah. you yeah. have to want to quit. Like, I'd say okay. yearly, <laughs> at least every yeah. few months, yeah. every day. Sometimes it depends. Like, yeah, yeah. So that is for me. Oh some yeah. Harder than others, but I think. Um, obviously, my faith keeps me, but also knowing and being very confident and like I'm really good at what I do. Yeah, and finding what that purpose piece is in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and my purpose within what I do is that I provide peace for people in situations. Figuring out that you what your purpose is in what you do, and I think that that can be challenging when you're still figuring it out yourself. Yeah, and I realize that my purpose and what I do is that I provide peace to people in situations that things are going to be taken care of, and most people find events really stressful. Yeah, um, and it's kind of an oxymoron because I would not necessarily consider myself a peaceful person. <laughs> most people probably consider me a little high but it makes me really good at my job, right? Um, and most people, when it comes to events, they are very high stress, high anxiety. Situations, yes, for and sure. And I want them to look to us, my team, and say, "Yo, I know they have it. Mm -hmm. like, like, I don't have to worry about any of these little things, like TGA, the Grand Access. You know, yeah, they got me. They got this. I don't have to be involved in the minutia, and the minutia is where we thrive, right? So I, you know, I don't, I don't, we don't need our client worrying about things that we already have taken care of, and I want them to feel like we have it taken care of. Okay, is that? 
one of the reasons why you don't do weddings and parties usually is because those people are probably Absolutely. a little too high strung. Absolutely. <laughs> too on um, I would also say that I, a couple things. Number one, in full transparency, most people, I would say 90% of people on this earth don't know how much things actually cost. And when you're doing personal events, people want a Beyonce hologram and a helicopter land on the, on the Empire State Building. All this on a beer budget. <laughs> right. And I get it, right? I do my own, you know, our, my kids' birthday parties. And I'd be like, I'm not spending that. And it's, you know, it's, I get it. But I am just not your planner, right? Right. Um, I also think that where I realize I thrive, which is why, you know, uh, one of my colleagues, my partner in all of my large-scale events, Sharia Barlow, that's why she and I have such a great relationship. She does all the things I don't like doing, and I do all the things that she doesn't like doing. <laughs> so where I thrive for the grand access is in the logistical and operational piece. I want to know the consumer and attendee journey. I'm going to make sure it's tight. I'm going to make sure everybody you come into contact with knows what they're doing. Um, the production piece, making sure we hire the right team. Shout out to listen to me. Um, you know, making sure that we like are doing the things that we need to do. Um, to make sure that someone has a great experience. It's the operational excellence for me that I, I really thrive in. Mm-hmm. Um, I care about what the room looks like, but Sharia really cares about what the room looks like. Right. See, this goes here, this goes, I'm going to be like, I don't like this or I love it. Right. <laughs> um, and so I know how to do her part and she knows how to do my part. But like, if we can avoid doing things that we, that we don't thrive in, yeah, right, and and divide and conquer. Sharia is also the person who's going to look at our budget and be like, "We're missing thirteen cents. Let me go back <laughs> to this hundred and fifty line item budget and find thirteen cents." I'm going to say, "Let me just deposit the thirteen cents somewhere," <laughs> and it's like, I, you know, it's thirteen cents, right? Yes, um, but but that's you know that's where she thrives. I'm going to say, let's do this run-up show down to the 15-second mark. Right. And she's going to look at me like, who needs to know what's happening every 15 seconds? And I'm like, me. Yeah. I need to know that, right? <laughs> Our friend needs to know that. So, we again, we thrive in these environments, right? And I think that's that's the piece, like bringing on a team that you know what their strengths are and you put them in positions to help everybody be great. Yeah. Like, what's your life? Yeah. yeah. You know? Which- if, like, if you don't get... Yeah. No, it's just like that, which is, it makes sense. Cause like when you're describing these two things, I'm like, I would be the Sharia person. I love what the decor, what everything looks like. Is it perfect when decor, they sit down? All do these the things, decor, but what's I missing? I want to. That's yeah. Not, that's not what gets me excited. What yes. What gets me excited is a detailed run of show and floor <laughs> plans and like, you know, like, I love that's, it. That's the stuff that gets me excited. I love but, it. Like, that stuff. Negotiating with vendors, tell me which one, girl. I'm gonna get you the cheap price, but I, I'm not out here like out here like this is what i'm doing and i'm gonna get it done for you in this way um also i have never heard anybody speak so passionately and adoringly about a run of show um so that is (laughs) 
that is a sweet spot. Um, I wanted, I want to ask, like, because you like to do those things, the more technical, logistical things, and working with mm-hmm. brands and getting the best deals. Your background that you came from by being in the corporate setting obviously helped with that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just having that experience, knowing it. Do you think that you would still be great at that if you came from like? You used to be a nurse and then you're moving into events. Um, I think that the element of corporate that helps us grow and said a lot of small businesses that they are used to operating their space mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily know what your average corporate client is gonna be looking for. Right. So even on the corporate side, I hired we hired small businesses, right? And so I you know, I could probably do 15 podcasts on what small businesses should be doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. I am a personal vigilante for small businesses. I have pushed back on some of the world's largest companies because of their practices with small businesses. I am very passionate in equitable small business practices. It's mm-hmm. very cute to have a supplier diversity goal. Great. But if your business policies don't reflect the small businesses that you're trying to hire, then it, there's a misalignment. And, and a small businesses cannot thrive off of 90-day payment terms. They just can't. No. They can't. And so, you know, a lot of large companies want to do more with smaller to medium-sized businesses, and they literally are challenging. Yeah, and they so don't have the structure. I, the structure of your thing, right, is not reflective that you actually want to work with us. Right. Right? Um, and so oh, I have made it a personal goal to make sure that number one TGA hires um, 75 to 80% um, women and minority owned businesses mm-hmm. so when you hire us you are also hiring these other businesses because they're they're who we, we focus on working with right um, and at the end of the day like yeah I'm gonna push back on your payment terms like I'm that person yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to figure out a way to make this work for you so that you as a company don't get in trouble. But I'm also going to make it work for my my vendors because they don't deserve that. Right. Like we're hiring them. Right. Um, and we're bringing them into the fold. And it's an opportunity for them to grow as well. And so, you know, I am very passionate about people say diversity, equity and inclusion. That equity piece, mm-hmm. that equity piece gets missed. Yeah. It gets missed a lot of times. And also. Yeah, so I. Yeah. No, yeah. And also to be quite honest, uh, large companies who want to work for small businesses, I'm like, you guys have the money. Why do you need to wait 90 days? That is like six pay days? cycles already. You have paid your employees six times and you can't pay this six one bill. So and and it just makes no sense. So, or hold my money for 90 days, but don't hold these vendors money for 90 days. Right. Like right. I think it's, I think that's what um, I've realized. And that's where my corporate background comes into play yeah because i know what's supposed to be you know i had a vendor one time uh a florist in another city and um we were buying a decent amount of flowers from them you know like you know thousands of dollars of flowers and they wanted us they didn't have the electronic payment option they wouldn't send us an ach like any kind of bank information they wanted us to call to make payments by phone, but then they never answered the phone. <laughs> business, right? Like, how many times am I going to have, like, what what mechanisms am I going to have to, you, like, beg you to take my money? 
right? Like that is an example of a business that like doesn't know how corporations work. The quickest way for you to get paid is to take this card electronically. Is there going to be a fee? Yes. Eat the fee because you can write it off on your taxes. Right. Right. Like (laughs) those are the things that like we got to get our our minority businesses to like understand. For sure. There are ways around these things and the stuff that y'all are fighting back with these companies for are going to make you lose money. Yeah. You know, there are five ways to pay me on every invoice, <laughs> right? Like, and you don't have like, one. You know, I, I don't just have one. I don't just have one. And so you got to really make that kind of stuff plain for folks, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but we need help. And a lot of our businesses are not growing because we're not willing to do what the, the client needs. Got it. And the client is going to need something that you may not be accustomed to if you don't necessarily have have that corporate background. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask, so you, when you introduce yourself and um, I'm assuming on your business card, it says chief experience officer. And I want to know why you chose that title instead of chief executive officer or president. Yeah, Yeah, I am. So technically it says chief experience architect. And I did that because in full transparency, I think a lot of people believe that they do a mess. (laughs) You know, I think that like, you know, I, a lot of people are like, like you'll, you won't see event planner anywhere on any materials that I ever give you. Um, Because I think a lot of people think they're event planners and not saying that you aren't, but I, I, what the Red Access does, I think, is beyond event planning. And we create experiences for your attendees, for your consumers. We do B2B stuff too as well, right? And so we want to be thought of as more than quote unquote event planners. That's that's beyond what we do. That is um the baseline of what we do. At the end of the day, your guests are going to have an experience at a TGA event that will hopefully have them leaving saying not only was this a beautiful event, but it was produced well, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It wasn't just visually pleasing, but I felt good when I left because every detail had been thought of, every I dotted, every T crossed. And so that's, that for me is where the title um, chief experience architect came from. I just wanted to differentiate myself, but also let people know that like, Event planner is not that it's too small of a term, but it's not all encompassing for us. Right. And we do more. Listen, uh, listen, advertise it. Say what it is. Tell us who you are. Okay. Listen, I'm (laughs) trying, girl. I'm trying. That's the goal at all times. Right. I mean, I'm an event. I'm an event planner. I plan wine nights at my house and like local birthday parties. That's me planning something. I mean, they are. Girl, you know they are. But. They're wonderful. Um, but I'm not doing full scale anything for a company. <laughs> we, we we do our best, but I would like to think that the experiences that we provide are are unique. For sure, and I bet they are because your your clients, your corporate clients, and your B two Bs, and even your medium companies are coming back to you year after year and time after time. So you have to be doing hey something God, right, and that's the thing. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you said that because I'm like, this is it's just you just really living in your purpose and knowing it because it's happening and people are coming back. So you know, you're doing good work, which means you're being affirmed in the whole thing that you stepped out on. And it's also making me think like, had you not hit send that day on that resignation letter, you would still be, that's what I was going to ask. You'd still be in corporate, probably still doing maybe events on the side. 
but you, you would not be, right, but it would not be the same as fulfilled, I guess, or as happy, or as anything than you are I now. I will never forget uh, my maybe second month on the job in this in my last advertising role. I met with a amazing woman, Susie Moore. You should look her up. She at the time was working in corporate. She was one of our vendors. And we had our first meeting, you know, and uh, she looked me in my face and she said, there's something else you would rather be doing right now. Oh, wow. And we were in a conference room. I literally got chilled. They, we were in a conference room that had windows. And I literally started looking around like, did somebody hear you? Like, I just got this job, girl. Like, I cannot be out of here. Like, you are telling people I don't want to be here. Like, what is going on? She looked me in my face. Now, Susie now is a world-renowned life coach. Wow. But at the time, she was also working in corporate. And that is just how good she is at her job. She literally looked at me and said, there's something else you would rather be doing. Talk to me about what that is. Oh, my God. First of all, give me she, Susie's I, number I mean, I because, wow. Right. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to say who she worked for at the time, but, like, I guarantee that they did not think she was doing that with her vendor time. Oh, probably but not. we talked about events, and she was like, you light up when you talk about this thing. She said, I know I'm here for something else, but I want you to know that, like, I see you. Yeah. Like, I see that, like, you're you're good at this job. Fine. Like, you can do it every day. You can come into the office and do it every day. But when Susie pulled that out of me, I was like, oh, like it was that those are the signs that God had been giving. Wow. Little tidbits, little pressure points, yeah. little, little things yeah. that are like, okay, everybody can see that you should really be doing this something every else. day. Yeah. Um, something else. And she pulled that right out of me. Literally to this That's day crazy. when I think about that day, I get chills. Yeah. It was wild. We were in there talking about programmatic media and online ads and she was like girl what would you rather be doing right she was like i know it's not this which is actually it's not this that's an amazing story that you say this yes none of it has been a waste like right my years in corporate even though i'm not doing what i got my degree in are any of us Um, anymore i still yeah right (laughs) but like what i what i what i'm doing has is a direct reflection of what i've learned yes absolutely and i wouldn't have been able to do this, I think, at the caliber and level that we do it if I hadn't had that experience in corporate. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think all of that ties in together, right? All of that is influencing not only who you are, but what the next iteration of you will be. Yeah. And it wasn't a waste, but, it, you know, the pivot is real. It is. It's real. Um, it just is one of those things where all the experience and all of the things that you've done before, they won't take away, even though it feels like I've wasted so much time or I've spent all this time, why didn't I start earlier? All of those things were probably going to be needed anyways, or you would have to learn them a harder way as you're going forward. So it's like you have an easier time moving forward now. As we said before, thousands and thousands of no's over the years really starts to hurt your feelings. I'm just gonna say it, I'm gonna put it out there, but that's fine, it's okay. It's made me stronger. And it's also prepared me to tell as many children as I need to know and as many Karens as I need to. What what was that? (laughs) Which is a life skill. (laughs) (laughs) That's a life skill. An underrated life skill. Oh my gosh. Yes, and I love that. Tell us about your HBCU college experience. (laughs) 
I had the immense honor and privilege of attending the illustrious. So here's the thing. If you didn't go to HBCU, you really can't say the illustrious. If you did go and you don't say the illustrious, then you didn't really graduate. Oh, my so God. The illustrious Florida A&M University, mm-hmm. um, where I got not one, but two degrees. That's how much fun I had. Um, and so I loved it. Like, FAMU was the number one, the best decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the best decision I probably ever made. Next to, you know, choosing my husband, <laughs> that was probably, FAMU was it. Um, <laughs> and I really just, the way that school shaped me and fuels me and still fuels me mm-hmm. um, is just, there should really be a study done on it. Like, it is, it is my... Next to my mama's house is my favorite place on earth. So oh. <laughs> I, um, I'm just really grateful for that experience. It was just, it was wonderful. I, um, I still go back for homecoming and there is a, there's like a thing about just being on the yard. Like yes. that I cannot get anywhere else. Well, except for the fact that I tried, I, we, we recreated it, you know, my cousin and I. Yes. Um, through, through an HBCU <laughs> alumni festival called HBCU Spring Coming. Oh, for sure. But other for than sure. that, other than that, FAMU, FAMU is the place where I feel the most at home next to my actual home. Okay. It that is, is word. It is like that. Yes. Uh, being, uh, as I like to say, an honorary member of, uh, FAMU, because obviously I did not go there, but I mean, I hang out with enough of y'all to be like, yes, I did. Right. Also, when right. I've had the chance to go to you all's homecoming, few people thought I actually went there and I was like, sir, this is my first time I've ever and been here. Right. But that kind of welcoming warm spirit in a black space is just chef's kiss. I mean... Mm-hmm. It is something that I feel like everybody should experience by going to any HBCU, um, not just FAMU. And I can say that as by somebody who went to a PWI. It is not the same. Um, PWIs, from my perspective and opinion, prepare you for the world we live in right now and the things that we are seeing and like all those social justice uprisings. That's what... A PWI is going to give you is is that preparation is that like yeah like let's deal with them on their own terms kind of situation and this is how I counter and this is also how you become comfortable being yourself in non-black spaces but on the other hand going to an HBCU is the hug and the cradle of just like two hands that are just lifting you up to like your 20s and life that every person of color needs because you are in an awkward phase. You are trying to start experimenting with who you are and who you think you are and who you really want to be and become and all of the other stuff Mm -hmm. and just blossoming. And I think that that is something that everybody needs. The FAMU experience is top tier. Um, You all... We try. Are like twenty plus years out of the game here and rep it like you graduated. Yeah. Rep it like you graduated (laughs) a year ago. Um, and I'm sure it is like that for a lot of other HBCUs, but I have never seen it quite like this. Maybe between maybe Howard is the only other place 
Hampton probably, but Howard is probably the the next close of how I've seen once somebody has left and is years in the rear view, still has this essence, this zhuzh, this love, this adoration for a place that they spent their college years. Like, and it's not just like, oh, we had the best parties with, you guys have the greatest experiences. You guys have um, fantastic programs. I think you all make a lot of connections um, with these people. It's a very interesting uh, circle of people where then you go into the real world and you're like, these people were not just partying and messing around. Mm -mm. They are legit on the path. Yes. At one point, almost every client I had was a derivative of FAMU. Yeah. And, 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 And not like we were classmates together. Right. right. But at some point they were at BAM and at some point I was at BAM and we met upon like well after graduation. Yes. And there's just something about working with other rappers that I love. Yeah. Now I will also say in general, working with HBCU grads, you get a lot of the same vibe. Like I you know, obviously I'm all we're always gonna support um specifically black owned businesses whenever we can. Yeah. But but there's just like something about working with other rattlers that I literally adore. It's just <laughs> there's a familiarity there even if we were not at school together. Yes. Um that we were kind of raised the same way, you know? Yeah. Um yeah, my, my co-founder George, our co-founder of HBCU Spring Coming, has this saying um that is just so so true. And every time he says it I almost get chills. George said that uh, HBCUs nurture who you are before you know who you can be. That's facts. And it's just, it's just like, like, it's like HBCUs will see something in you and cultivate that thing before you even know what that thing is. Yes. And you graduate with this confidence that like, you know, I know that this is what I know and I can now go out into the world mm-hmm. very confident in that fact. And I just... Um, I'm just grateful. I'm just so grateful for that experience and, and think about the little like 18 year old girl from South Carolina that didn't know anyone, but one or two people in the whole state of Florida when I got there Right, and just seeing like how that changed me, um, and really made me a woman and just being able to like go out into the world with that level of confidence. So yes. So by you going to FAMU and having this experience and just obviously it's it's a second home for you like yes, it's it not is. the one but it is it the is. two in this in this case yep. um this is how you have come to pretty much this idea of HBCU spring coming came about, came about. is yeah. that yeah talk about how this started because I know it was obviously some reminiscent feelings of missing that kind of camaraderie but how did this yeah how did that how did this really start so hbcu spring coming really started on my couch after church one sunday shout out to fcbc and harlow the pastor mike um that's really when it started um my cousin George and I, who is, uh, we call each other family by choice, uh, but he's married to my, another cousin. Um, and so George and I and his wife, my cousin Jovian, were literally sitting on the couch at the church, uh, you know, and we're talking about homecoming. And George goes back to homecoming every year. He's a graduate of Morehouse College. I go back. I, at that time, I was going back to homecoming every single year. And we were like, yo, like, I, you know, 
our friends can't always go back to homecoming. If you went to Tuskegee, it is really hard to get back to homecoming <laughs> from New York City. So George <laughs> and I really wanted to create, we were like, what if we created a homecoming in New York for HBC grads? Like, what would that look like? And so, you know, year one, we would have been happy to get a hundred people outside with a Bluetooth speaker in a, in a New York park. Right. Like that, that would have been fine with us. Like, you know, we had a little happy hour on Friday. The goal was to create a homecoming weekend, quote unquote, but this is year one. Right. So we're thinking we're going to fund the whole thing out of our pockets. Like we didn't, we knew nothing. (laughs) We, we, we thought we were going to fund it. We thought we would do a little happy hour Friday night, Saturday, we go out in the park and that would be, and cap it off with a brunch party that at the time I started in Harlem called Have Plenty Brunch. Yes. And that was like going to be the weekend. And we would have been happy to just have that. Mm-hmm. And about a month out, I'll never forget this. I was like on a trip, my first trip to Africa, actually. Or sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was my first trip to Africa. We were, I was out, you know, on vacation, living life. And I looked and we had a thousand RSVPs. What? And I was like, what like <laughs> like what are we doing this was supposed to be like a couple of us and it is a whole ordeal wow and so we yeah it, it became a thing and so we are embarking on our ninth year of hbcu spring coming Oof. we started in 2015 but yes. if you count the actual events we're on event nine mm-hmm. the only year we did not have a spring coming was 2020 because of the pandemic mm-hmm. um and so we will be having our 10th hbcu spring coming next year which is wild yeah um, now we host it in two cities uh we're obviously still going to new york um, but we were approached by the city of Birmingham to bring spring coming to Birmingham uh, two years ago. And so mm-hmm. last year was our first one in Birmingham. Um, this year was our second. And hopefully, knock on wood, they'll invite us back for a third. For so sure. it has been a wild and crazy ride. You know, when you talk about like ideating and creating something and seeing it through the execution. Yeah. I think it all fits lost on George and I because we're in love of it. How pretty dynamic that is right um you know, a lot of people have ideas and we, we've just been blessed to be able to like turn our ideas and our dreams into actual things yeah and um i cannot ask for a better partner in that you know everybody don't want to work with their family i'm glad that my family is, is tight so i don't want to work with my family <laughs> oh my um, gosh you but, are right but you know uh, george has a lot of vision mm-hmm. um and, you know, we both bring our professional expertise into this as well. And so it's just, it's really a good partnership. And I am grateful to have been on this journey. I feel like we need to create a documentary or something because no one knows what it, what it, what it takes yeah. to produce a festival. You know, we produce, you know, one year, the festival was five days long. Yes. Um, so we produce a festival and it is a wonderful celebration of blackness. Mm. and culture and I think that's amazing what it means to be educated in black and we are just it is it's it's a great time yes listen as Nina Nina Simone says to be young gifted and black um that's where it's at um (laughs) first of all I have two things one uh shout out the very first uh spring coming and also the have plenty that you have in there because your very first have plenty was my birthday party and it was, it was epic oh my god in 
2014, it was the that brunch. Never forget it. Shot a lot of people out, y'all. But I want y'all to know none of this happens with just one person. Like, it, doesn't. it just doesn't. And we have been really grateful and fortunate to have just amazing people in yeah. our corner. And so shout out to Julia Collins and Chef JJ. Yes. Joe Johnson. Um, and Dick Parsons at the time, who was the owner of mm-hmm. one of the most delicious restaurants that ever hit Harlem, the Cecil. Best restaurant and, in America, um, one year. Best rest- It was best restaurant in America one year. And they, you know, I was hosting brunch at my house every Sunday, basically. And I was like, let's take this let's show on this. Like, let's get out of my house. Let's go somewhere. For sure. That's when brunch was really a chance to see our friends. Yeah. That's what it started out off as. We were literally on the road. You know, we did, we've done, you've been the one in South Africa. Like, yes. you know, we've done one in Prague. <laughs> we've done one in Oakland. We've done one in Charlotte. We've, you know, like. I know. We've really done them. Everywhere, everywhere. yeah. Like, we were doing Atlanta and D.C. three times a year. So Crazy. So, we're just like really, you know, the way, again, another thing that just came from like an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah and into something special i think that's the the one thing is also that what's really specific and special about spring coming and the have plenty brunches and i think what you do and you and george do um even macroly is that you all are speaking to an audience that a lot of people companies places do not cater to and do not think about even though black uh people are the largest consumers of almost everything um and yeah for a long time, we've been left out of experiences and we've never really had experiences that were geared towards us. Because if you think about it, brunch used to be like something that older, rich white people used to do. That would be like from 11 to 2, they would go meet their grandchildren on Sunday after church, you know, out of obligation or whatever it was. And yeah, then that I would mean, be we were it. The first brunch party in Harlem. Yeah. So, like, when you think about what brunch looked like now to people mm-hmm. it is a very different thing yes and, and i think that i i in creating these things right in partnership you know dj commish was and still is our resident dj of have yes. plenty brunch he has built have plenty brunch side by side yeah. with me right all of these years and you know, when we, even when we got approached about hosting the first HBCU day at the U.S. Open, when the Grand Access got approached with this idea, it was about bringing blackness and culture into predominantly white spaces. Yes. And it's not that we all don't know a tennis fan, right? It's not that black people don't play tennis. That's not a thing, (laughs) right? So like, why have we never been spoken to directly by that community? Like, how can we create this this welcoming environment for people specifically in the tri-state area who may not have even known this U.S. Open experience was in their backyard? Right. And so, you know, working in conjunction with USTA to bring HBCU Live at the U.S. Open to life, um, we're going into our third year planning that, and we have been their event partner since its inception, is a very special and unique thing. Yeah. And every single year, someone comes up to me at HBCU Live and says, I didn't even know this was a, like this existed. I didn't even know black people attended the U.S. Open. I did not even know it was an experience like this. I saw the U.S. Open day drinking with a side of tennis. Yes. 
it, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? Pretty much. But like getting this, <laughs> getting this, like this entire concept where they literally had uh, trees wrapped in photos of Althea Gibson welcoming them when they come into the gate, yeah. right? Like that's not an experience they're going to have every day at the U.S. Open, and so it really prides our team to do that, and we hope to continue to do it. Um, you know, with any area, our our goal is to make sure that we're authentic to who we are. But the black culture is the culture. Yeah. And so HBCUs are a really, really large part of that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's amazing that you do have those, like Althea Gibson is wrapped. I'm sure Arthur Ashes is there as well. Yeah. Which, All of those good things. You know, and I feel like until Venus and Serena kind of came on the scene in obviously these the, the latter years of, of them, people had probably forgotten about them or just didn't learn about them you know, uh, Althea or maybe even Arthur, uh, in the past. So yeah. you all are really like, you know, keeping that, that the, the culture of that and the history of tennis and black players being a part of it alive. Um, and I think that's great because back then they didn't, there were almost no black people that would attend a, a tennis match yeah. or they couldn't. So I think yeah. what you guys are doing is amazing with the, with the U.S. Open and everything. I mean, listen, Yankee Stadium is right there. Let, let's take over baseball next. It's literally, it, it, there's a lot of stuff in this like really small, you know, like the Met Stadium is literally directly across. They share a train track, which is also why there's so much freaking security. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my car gets swept like three times before I can even get to my lot and my lot is not the closest line. Right. So like, you, you know, you, it's, it's just a, it's a space that like, is just such an amazing experience. And so I'm, um, I'm grateful to be able to do what I do, but there's a large part of this is like, I feel like I'm repping for the culture every single time I get to do it. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that. I love that. Oh, so now I feel like we need to move on to what I really enjoy is the TV and film time talk. So for this, <laughs> I asked you what your favorite black TV show is. And you said it was a different world and also living single. So, I mean, do you want to tackle one of those over the other or should we just do both? Because you didn't give me a movie. They're both very black. Yeah. Um, a different world is obviously about an HBCU, a, <laughs> a fictional HBCU, but an HBCU nonetheless. Yes. And, you know, we were very fortunate to grow up when that was on TV. Yes. And so we saw that represented. Um, and even one of my parents went to an HBCU, mm. um, but their parents did, or and their siblings did. And so I think that... Um, a different world was it for me. Living single just feels like my girlfriends from college. Like we, there are six of us. We, it's interesting enough, we all turned 40 this year. And so we're going on a big girl's trip, but it, you know, that is what college gave us. Um, our, our friendship and our sisterhood. And so living single feels a lot like what it would have looked like if we all moved to the same city. We did not. And we regret <laughs> that every single time, but um, it's, it's what it would have felt like. So, I don't know if I have a favorite black movie. I like action movies mm -hmm. and rom-coms. I always Which is fair. say if somebody doesn't like die or fall in love, then I'm probably not going to watch it. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's do both of these TV shows. So let's start with A Different World first. Who on A Different World is your favorite character, the one that you enjoyed the most when you were watching it when you were growing up? 
I obviously love Whitley um, for numerous reasons. <laughs> the Southern Belle in her obviously reminds me of home. Mm-hmm. I'm from South Carolina originally. Um, but also, she would do stuff, and I'd be like, sis, like, what are you doing? What is you doing? Um, but you need a little of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she was my favorite character um, on A Different World. Mm-hmm. I love Khadijah on Living Single. I figured. She's a business owner. I figured that she was, was going to be it. Owner. She was like figuring out life. And so she almost lost the magazine like 15 <laughs> times every season. Like that's just real life. And so I, I love both of those characters so much. Yes. I figured that you would choose Khadijah because she obviously is the entrepreneur. She has her own business. Yes. So very relatable. Um, and you probably even, I'm assuming that you like had a kinship with her, or liked her the best, even before you started to become an I did. entrepreneur. I did. So I there you like, go. Her, she also had the most sense most of the time. <laughs> most of the time on the show, she had the most sense. Is, she had the most sense. is so, there yeah. a, a specific episode where you, is like your favorite episode of Living Single? I mean, I have like memorable episodes. I remember when her and Scooter got together. I was like, "Ooh, oh my gosh!" Remember that episode? (laughs) It's a Scooter episode when she like temporarily. Um. Oh my. Oh one one episode that I remember being really really funny is she had hired this new writer who was really attractive. Do you remember this? I do remember this. Was really attractive, and she got his work. And there were like typos, he couldn't spell, he couldn't put together a sentence. And yes. she was literally like, How am I going? Like, I can't yes. keep you on my team. And then he basically like almost tried to sue her for like sexual harassment. It was yes. like wild. So I was like, see, it's like you just gotta you gotta really references. I know that this. Was my first lesson. Yes, I know this exact episode. It is a funny episode. This is the episode where she hires. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but she was so impressed by how fine he was. He right. spoke French. Oh, Yes, he spoke French in the meeting, um, which she was taken aback by. And um, then, and she was like, oh yeah, well, when can you start? And he was like, how about right now? Never bothered to check his resume. Never bothered to check his references. Not one thing. thing. And later on, when she goes to fire him and calls him back into the office, he was like, oh, this is one of those, like, you know, quid pro quo things. I said no last night, so you're going to say no now to my article. And she said, no, I don't need a man. What I need is somebody who knows that there are two O's in Brooklyn. That's what I need. That part. Yes. <laughs> Love that episode. Because that was also an example of you being blinded by the wrong thing. Well, I read your article. What'd you think? <laughs> I got to be straight up with you. It needs work. How much work are we talking? A lot. A lot? As in buku? Xavier, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't publish this. Oh, okay. I see what this is about. Last night in the cab, I say no, so you say no. Xavier, this has nothing to do with last night. Khadijah, there's nothing wrong with my article. The trouble is, you don't need a journalist. You need a man. (laughs) I need someone who knows there are two O's in Brooklyn. (laughs) Are you threatening to fire me? 
I hope not, because you have a nice little lawsuit in your hands if you do. You gonna sue me for sexual harassment? <laughs> well, fine. Just remember, harassment, one R, two S's. <laughs> Because then when he gets up to leave, he tells her he can kiss her B-U-T and then forgets the T. <laughs> yeah. And then he comes back and says T. So, yeah, uh, he had to go. He had oh, to go. He did have to go. He was awful. Um, but, you know, when again, when you are the hire and fire, you have leeway to sometimes make these kinds of It's mistakes. a tough job. In that moment. It's oh, for sure. Job. Yeah, it's a tough job, but you do have to do it. It is the unfortunate yes. part. But also sometimes it is satisfying to get somebody up out of yes. your business. <laughs> right, um, right. Oh, I forgot to ask you, what do you have a favorite episode of A Different World? Um, I mean, I definitely don't have a favorite episode of A Different World. Okay. I remember um, there are two pivotal episodes. Obviously, the Baby Please episode where Dwayne crashed the wedding. That's everybody's favorite. Yes. You know. Very interestingly enough, as an adult, Dwayne and Whitley's relationship was very toxic. For sure. That's like not something that we should be aspiring to. Let's start there. When you talk about 90 type of love, you know, none of us should have aspired to this. It was it was very toxic. But um because the baby please episode was like, bruh. Like yes. really you're crashing you're crashing from the wedding. Yeah. Um, that episode. But there was also a distinct episode that I remember where they drove uh, down to a football game at a white school. Oh, yes. And they had an altercation with some white guys and they like spray painted their car or something and they got put in jail. Yes. And it was like this whole come to Jesus moment. Oh, hey, my grandfather came to this country with nothing. He couldn't even speak the language, but he worked hard and he made a place for himself and his family. Now, why can't you people do the same? Hey, my grandfather built this country, man. He fought wars for it. And most places he went wouldn't let him sit down and get a cup of coffee. I can't even catch a cab in New York. You know, it doesn't matter how many degrees I get. All you people see is color. Your grandfather was an immigrant. You're American. My grandfather was born here, Duke. And you people still look at me as just another nigga. I also remember because different world was out during the LA riots mm -hmm. and there was a LA riot episode there was so I, what I really appreciated especially when Debbie Allen came onto the show because you could definitely tell a shift in yes. the show um in the directing and the writing when Debbie Allen became a part of it one thing I appreciated was that she would always ensure that whatever was relevant in the media at that time they were talking about on the show there was no like shying away from it um and if you watch any of the reunion specials or like anything where she's talking about a different world. She made that really intentional. I remember watching an interview from her and she was like, you know, I realized on the show they're in the cab and there's no hot sauce on any of the tables. Yes. Like that is not authentic to being in a black space, let alone a black school. Right. Um, um, so like little things like that, I just, I very much appreciated in that show and it really cultivated what HBC life would look like for me. If I had to pick another, if I had to pick a movie that I think was pivotal to my growing up in culture, it would 100% be School Days. <laughs> um, obviously, another movie about the HBC experience, but yes. I make my little cousins watch that before they go to an HBC. Oh my <laughs> like, God. It's like required... Like people say, require reading, it's mm -hmm. like re required viewing. 
Oh my gosh. And only because it is a movie about the HBCU experience or is there an extra HBCU experience? It's also a movie about college. You know, the boy (laughs) trying to get in your drawers. Like it's just a whole it's about college. Like the guys pledging, you know, the girls pledging, the whole deal. Like it it is it's college. Yes. And um with singing. coming last year mm-hmm. in New York we I think George and I both pulled him aside at one time and were like no really do you understand how school days has like influenced this whole thing oh like, my god I love that it's just, it was a moment it yeah was a moment for sure I love that yeah school days actually it's for Spike to be such the prolific director that he is school days by him doing that so early in his career just kind of like it doesn't get enough credit it doesn't, it doesn't um and to be fair a lot of things that Spike has done don't get enough credit I know that it's sometimes overshadowed by the more eccentric things that he's done but yeah. those young movies that he did like in the beginning like very Afrocentric kind of things are great mm-hmm. um one of my other friends uh, on another episode said that her favorite movie is Crooklyn and I was like yes and Reminds me of my dad's family. He grew up in the house with seven kids. Like yeah. that is, and their mother died when they were very young. Yeah, so that that movie is very another. Well, also Delroy Lindo is, you know, pretty much anything he's in. Yes, watch. Delroy is is has been. I think Delroy has kind of been a slow burn. It's like I think we were too young to be. Because we were too young back in the day to like view him as like a sex symbol or sexy, but now he's now, <laughs> he's been in a few other things. Like How old is he? Yeah, he's. <laughs> he, I will say no he's. No offense, Delroy. We love. No, it's no offense. No, 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 it's no offense. We appreciate it. He is, I believe, sixty plus at this point. But that doesn't. It's not. That's beside the point. It doesn't even matter because we are fully grown and we appreciate. Like a fine wine, he continues. He is our Sean Connery, and I stand by it. Okay. (laughs) This is happening. It happens a lot. I'm more of a TV person than a movie person, but I love both. Yeah. But I'm very specific about my movie genres in a way that I'm not specific about my TV genres. That's fair. I watch everything on TV. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. I only ask because I assume that everybody has one that they are, you know, lean or have fondness of, yeah. nostalgia's sake or whatever. Like, I, you I, know what? I lie. I do have a nope. movie, and it is not black. It's not black, though. <laughs> what There's is actually it? actually only one black person in it, and she's the help. Is it, it the is help? Still Magnolia. It's still Magnolia. Oh my god! <sighs> Love that movie, by the way. Wait, there's I a black woman in there. That comes on. Who's the help? I watch it. No, there's a black woman in there. She's the help at Shelby's house when she's in when she's getting ready for the wedding. Wow. But there's one black woman like serving tea, basically in that house. That is basically the only only black person in that in that movie. All the time. And that I have seen. You've never movie. noticed that. I have you never noticed, noticed that. <laughs> that is my mother and I's favorite movie. I watch it every time it comes on and I cry every time it comes on like I don't know what's going to happen. So if you have not seen Still Magnolias, watch the original, not necessarily the black version. Right, I was going to ask original, the black version. <laughs> the original of Still Magnolias, Dolly Parton, Sally Fields, Julia Roberts. Like, Olympia it is, First They're of all, all, yes. 
It's an all-star And Shirley McLean. Yeah. Like, who's left? Who is left to be in Still Magnolias? I, it, it's, it, I don't know. The but, only person who's not in it is Meryl Streep. Which I'm like, surprised I, like, right. she wasn't there. Was she unavailable? I don't know why she wasn't there either. She must have been unavailable because everybody else was in that movie. And I, it is literally, I might watch it tonight. It. It is- just love it. <laughs> it's just, it's primo. But anyway, that is enough with the TV and film, even though we did more TV than film, but that's good. Um, but it doesn't have to have a favorite black film. I get it. There's so many out there. And I mean, there's a lot of them out there. There's definitely a lot of them out there. That also reminds me that I was going to ask you this earlier, and this is so random. Was the part of the reason why you all went to Birmingham? Because remember, there was a little bit of controversy, and this is how you know that you are onto something amazing, where (laughs) took Spring Coming as a name and started like and wanted to create their own thing or was it have plenty it was one of those two events i think so both brand coming and have plenty are trademarked i'll yes. tell you that both brands are trademarked no one took it you know it's really interesting hbcus it's like a coin phrase now so mm-hmm. like everybody's creating an hbcu something there was an instance we've had two instances where we've had to call mm. our attorneys one is uh there was a chick doing a spring coming party in Atlanta and we it was on the same Saturday as our major event and um we were like you can't use that word it's actually trademarked and then there was another in our old logo and didn't even like change the colors and try to use it on like an HBCU party flyer so let's just be a lesson, guys. Um, when you trademark something, it is words and image usually. And you can't just take people's logos and put them on your things. That's like, that. that's not a thing. And like, we will sue you, right? And like, I don't want to, like, is that something I get like enjoyment out of? But when you built a brand and put your blood, sweat and tears in the one, you don't want nobody using it. Listen, yes. There is one more thing that I need to do before we wrap this up. And that is, I am going to give you 10 rapid fire questions in the vein of, uh, inside the actor's studio. Sorry. (laughs) I'm ready. All right. Uh, Question number one, who is your celebrity crush regardless of gender? Um, Idris Elba is likely very high on my list of celebrity crushes. Um, I mean, I could probably find a couple other people. Gosh, Daniel Craig, the action guys. I just really. Uh, question number two, what is your least favorite word? Octopus. Really? I have no idea why. It just is. <laughs> it just is. I just don't like the syllables. I don't like it. I don't even really eat octopus like that. I just don't like it. Oh my God. Okay. okay. <laughs> Do you believe in love at first sight? As a single woman, I would have said yes. As a married woman, I know none of that shit matters. <laughs> you can have all the love you want to at first sight, sis. That that ain't that ain't gonna get you to the altar, and that ain't show ain't gonna keep you married. <laughs> wow. So I would awesome. say at the, at this phase of my life, um. I do believe that at first sight, you could love someone. I don't know how deeply. I don't think you could be in love, but I think that you can love someone at first sight. Okay. Uh, In bed, what is the one thing that you hate the most? 
I want someone to push their cold feet on me. <laughs> but I do it to somebody else. So like, I, I, it's really bad. Like, I hate when it's done to me, but I feel like I should be able to do it. Cold feet, 100%. Yeah. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck, definitely. I am what I am a what the fuck, how the fuck, who the fuck kind of person. <laughs> like, I say, I say that a lot. Oh my god, I say that a lot. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time, would you give your sixteen-year-old self wisdom, courage, or money? My sixteen-year-old self wouldn't have known what to do with money. Um, I would definitely give her wisdom because I was pretty courageous at, at 16. Um, I was very fearless and I, I thank my parents for that. I didn't have a lot of worries or fears at that age, but I did not have a lot of, um, I did, I did not know enough to know what I didn't know. So wisdom would be it. What is something you wish every black woman knew? That we are the core and the center of the universe. That the sun literally rises and sets on us. We create life. We create things. We create industries. We create culture. We create everything. So I, that they are creators in every way. What is something you wish you had never learned? I wish I had never learned um, how hot dogs are made. <laughs> I mean, I'm still going to eat them, but it's just kind of one of those things. You're like, you just don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't watch those documentaries. There was a documentary on Netflix about being vegan. And I was like, I'm never going to watch this shit. I'm never going to watch it. I don't want to know. I want to enjoy my bacon and eggs in peace. I yeah. don't care. So that. Yes, I felt that. I think forks over knives. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. What other profession other than your own now would you like to attend? Mm. I thought I wanted to be a newscaster at one point, but I didn't really enjoy journalism and they kind of go hand in hand. So if I could just like report somebody else's story, totally. Shout out to all the journalists out there, the real journalists, I cannot do what you do, but I would love just being on the news, you know? And last question, which is directly from the um, Inside the Actor Studio question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I want him to tell me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I want him to tell me that I did a good job and I represented him well on earth. That is, that is what I would like. And I know that does not happen all the time because we're human, but generally I want him to summarize my years as being a good representative on earth. <laughs> That is what I want. And I think that's what all of us probably want. Right, <laughs> right, right. Did I get a good grade? Did I do well? Yes, right, right. Here it is. Okay, well, that is all of the questions and that wraps Aww, it up. Thank you. Yes, you're done. This Lauren, was fun. Thank you so much for this interview, for being on the show, for talking to of me, course. just sharing all of, of this. Of course. Um, this has been a pleasure. Um, 
Please let everybody know where they can find you, the next things that you're doing. Sure. Up, and of course, tell us about spring coming, which I will be attending. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, well, first, HBCU spring coming for New York will take place April 14th through 16th. Come through. You can find us at hbcuspringcoming.com. The schedule, the RSVP list, everything going on is all there. Um, and recap from Birmingham as well. So you can see what went down in Birmingham. Uh, for the grant access, you can find us at thegrantaccess.com. Um, our social media needs a social media manager. So if you know of anybody, then let us know. Um, but you can find us on Instagram at the grant access and you can find me. Uh, I'm probably more, most active on Instagram at LG47, E-L-L-E-G-E-E-47. That's it. Okay, y'all. That is our show. But before we go, you know I have to give you some awesome Black wisdom. And this week's quote comes from the phenomenal tennis player Althea Gibson. Althea has been quoted as saying, no matter what accomplishments you make, somebody helped you. That is the perfect quote for this week's interview that I did with Lauren, not only because she does head up the HBCU program for the U.S. Open now and has for the past three years. But also, she had that same sentiment during her interview saying, nobody does anything alone. You have to be surrounded by a fantastic team and support system to get things done, no matter whether it's your dream, a goal, or even a project at work. Somebody helped you along the way. So remember, You may be on the journey and feel like you're alone, but there are always people around you to help you, support you, and you are going to go farther if you go together. This is wrapping up this week's episode of the ABW Show. We'll see you soon. Have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful day. And until next time, bye. She's got a text text from her cars to the